Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Alicia. So, Alicia... You're in the room. So Hi. If you can, how are you doing? Great. I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Brilliant. Well, if you can tell me when and where you were born, not necessarily when you were born because you're a lady. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you could describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. Over to you. Okay, so I have lived most of my life in Washington State, um, on the coast, a little bit north of Seattle. I grew up on an island, and I in I was born in the eighties. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, I had kind of a unique experience growing up. I am the oldest of nine children. And my parents homeschooled us. So I have never been to public school before. Um, I loved being homeschooled because I am an independent learner. I've always loved reading. So um, I didn't always love math, but I've always loved learning and reading and history and literature. And so I did great being homeschooled, I was very self-motivated to learn. And um, so with you being the oldest then, were you yes. like head girl and like a prefect and kept all yeah. the rest of them in line? I tried. I tried. They don't like to listen to me, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but um, man, we... We were naughty sometimes. We would be sneaky and sneak out of the house while my mom was taking a nap and we'd go play and just have adventures in the woods. So, yeah. <laughs> but um so she wasn't overly strict then. Or no. did you did she invoke the cane? Did you get uh, the cane if you stepped out of line? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> no, it wasn't overly strict and um, we did a lot of lessons together. So like me and my brother, he's two years younger than me. We did a lot of our history and, uh, English and literature, even math we did together. He was really good at math. So he was usually at the same level I was, even though I'm two years older, he's still good at math. But, um, no, I loved being homeschooled. I loved that there was so much flexibility in our days. Um, we didn't have to wake up early and go to school. We could do school in our pajamas if we wanted to. And every year my mom would buy different curriculum for us. Um, and it kind of just changed by the year what how, how we learned the type of things she wanted to teach us or focus on. And... Um, I think sometimes my mom will say, 
oh, I don't think I did a very good job homeschooling you, but I loved my education. I, I read a lot, like I said. So I think that helped fill in any gaps that I might've had. But, um, I, I was strictly homeschooled until about, uh, age 14. And then I started attending a school that was just a few days a week. And I loved it. I took math, science, art, writing. Uh, I took a German class, but I don't remember anything from that class. <laughs> um, I wasn't good at it at all. But I loved, I had an um, incredible science teacher. And we got to do things like dissect a frog or a sheep's brain or, you know, those fun things that are, you get to have in a classroom experience. Hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I get stuff that you wasn't doing at home. <laughs> no, I was not doing that at home. <laughs> so um, so on, on, on the, the, the schooling front, how, how did you find integrating into a, a school for the first time? You, you, You'd spend all your time at home with, with your your eight other siblings, and yeah. then and then you go to a school. How many thousands of kids was in the, in the school? How did you fit in? Um, how did they react to you? So it was a very small school, and it was intended for homeschooling students. So there was only about a hundred students in the school. My classroom were very small, about 20 people. And I didn't have any trouble integrating into the school. Um, I had taken other classes before that weren't as official, just other parents that taught classes. So I knew how to sit in a class and raise my hand and ask questions and participate. And I knew how to write a paper. And so I didn't really have any trouble going in the only thing that I kind of struggled with was homework because I'd never had homework before. I always just finished everything every day. So that was a little bit mm. new. I had had some projects, you know, that were like a longer paper or a report that takes more than just a day. But um, I, I got great grades and I loved it and I did very well. So, I guess all the other kids had all had all come from homeschooling as well. So, that's that's the, I, I guess the common denominator for you yeah. all. So, yeah. did you did you go through and and graduate? Let's let's just take it back a little bit. Let's let's okay. just have a look at um, uh, your home, for instance. Did 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 you have? A separate area for the classroom where you, where you're all um, sitting rows, or how was it all set out? How many bedrooms did you have? With nine kids, I mean, it yes. wouldn't have been a two up, two down, surely not. <laughs> well, there were three bedrooms um, initially, and then we moved to a bigger house with five bedrooms, but. Um, uh, we did a lot of our school just at the kitchen table, but we each had a desk 
in our rooms as well. So we would do lessons together at the table that we needed more direction with. Um, and then we would just go to our rooms and finish the work for the day. So if we had questions, we could come ask, but usually we just tried to figure out things on our own. And I think that taught us how to learn independently and how to work through a problem and kind of be okay with not understanding something right away mm -hmm. and just learn how to be, uh, take it one step at a time and learn slowly if you need to. Not everybody learns the same way. Not everybody is great at different math concepts. And so sometimes I would get frustrated because my little brother would, he would pick up on math a lot quicker than I would, but I was better at writing than he was. So mm. we just worked, learned how to work through it. And then of course we could ask questions if we were stuck or couldn't figure something out. But we were very much encouraged to try to sort through lessons on our own, especially as we got older and we could, you know, not when you're like five or six and you still mm. are learning how to read. But um, as, as we got older and into teenage years, a lot of it was self, self-taught, which I, I loved. I never had a problem mm. with that. So did you take an active part in teaching the younger kids uh, as they was coming along? Did you have to help them out or, or, or did you just, your mum sorted all of that out and, and you just had to concentrate on your own studies? Sometimes I would help with the younger kids. Um, I think, you know, when you teach somebody, it helps you learn and you also get to learn how to explain things differently to different learning styles. Not all my siblings learn the same way, but I will say that um, not all of my siblings were actually homeschooled. My, my parents stopped homeschooling when I, well, I graduated, um, but um, my siblings who are younger than me, they all attended public school. So I think my parents just got to a point where um, it was too much. Too much work. <laughs> they were tired. I can, I can imagine. <laughs> they were tired, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to teach all your children how to read and do multiplication. And, you know, it's it's a lot. Especially when you've got so many of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so many. So, so you managed to 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 graduate um, yeah. school then. So, yeah. what was your graduation like from from proper school? Um. So I graduated when I was seventeen. Um. I don't know what it's like where you are, but um, where I live, there is a program for high school students to attend a local college. So I, that's what I did. I started going to college when I was 16 and 
I just took very basic classes like English, uh, biology, nutrition, um, speaking, those types of classes. I initially thought in high school, I thought I wanted to be a nurse and I thought I'm, I'm a nice person and I like taking care of people. So I would love to be a nurse, but then I realized that I, my brain just doesn't work for science very well. (laughs) And so I realized I'm just very creative and I didn't want to be in a field where it wasn't very creative. So um, I switched after I graduated high school with a little bit of college behind me as well. I switched and uh, studied English and literature. So what did you want to become then? If you you decided that nursing wasn't the way forward for you, so what was the way forward with English literature and English? Um, Yeah, so I just wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books and I want to tell, wanted to tell stories. I grew up telling stories to my siblings and I've always loved reading. I used to get in trouble growing up because I read so much that I wouldn't do my schoolwork or my chores or go outside. So my mom would have to take away my books and hide them and make me go outside. And I just thought, why can't I read outside? (laughs) But she wanted me to play. So um, I just, I've always had a very big imagination and I've always loved words. And I will say, I believe all the best writers are British. So I don't know if that (laughs) helps. Well, we've got the likes of... um... Shakespeare, brass up your Shakespeare. We've got um, Shelley, Keats, J.K. Rowling. Yes. One of the best authors ever. Yeah. Certainly certainly the one that's made the most money out of writing, that's for sure. What an imagination that woman's got. Her imagination is crazy, just off the charts. It's, wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and then, I mean, C.S. Lewis is my favorite writer. I've read almost everything he's written. And obviously, J.R. Tolkien as well. But um, I don't typically love fantasy, but I love Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Harry Potter. And I'm having so much fun introducing my children to those we have the Chronicles of Narnia on audiobooks. So we love mm-hmm. listening to those stories when we're in the car. And man, they're just, every time I listen to them, they just get better and better. They're mm. so good. So good. It's, it's like the Harry, Harry Potter trilogy uh, yes. audiobooks read by Stephen Fry. Yes, oh, so good. He can, he can tell. Apple Music Library. You can ask me to play a radio station Shut up. or ask for your music in a different time. <laughs> Who else did a pipe up? So funny. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Stephen Fry is an excellent reader. Yes. Yes. He's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant at it. Yes. And um, yeah, we listen to him multiple times, and you don't get tired. It's like watching the films. You don't get tired of watching the films. No, they're such good stories. Mm. So, what did you do then? Did you did did you go to um, a full time college when you sort of I did. Graduate, graduated? At, so I guess 18, 17, 18. Yeah, so I took a little break. I um, went to Central America and lived with some friends of my family that were missionaries there. And I lived there with them for about four months. And um, that was a great experience for me. I, I got the privilege of working in an orphanage five days a week. And I... I learned Spanish decently well while I was there. I have forgotten a lot, but um, it was such an it was such a powerful experience to live in a third world country and just see what it what it was like to be the only person that spoke English. Oftentimes, um, I think that's a really important experience for people to have and but at the end of the day I built such great friendships with all the kids in the orphanage and after a while it didn't matter that we didn't speak the same language because we just loved each other and had fun and we could tease each other and um play games and we didn't need to speak the same language and Mm. it was it was beautiful experience i absolutely loved it i bawled my eyes out when i left i didn't want to leave i just wanted to bring all of them home with me but um (laughs) but i couldn't so um that experience taught me a lot it was also very extremely hot there and Mm. i grew up in a place where the climate is very similar to England. Um, and so being in a very hot place was weird. Um, mm. And you, you do acclimatize after a while, trust me. You do, I've, you do. I've worked in some pretty hot places and um, you, you do get the hang of it. It's, it's a mindset. You just have to say, there's nothing I can do about it. Just got to get yes. on with it. So you yes, just you get have on with to it. drink so you have to drink so much water. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I I I got pretty dehydrated a few times. It was a little scary, but I never needed to like go to the hospital or, or anything. So that was mm. good. But um, yeah, they they did a good job making sure that I ate salty things and drank water so that I wouldn't get super dehydrated. But um, after after that experience, I decided while I was there, I thought, I know what I'm going to study in college. It's so obvious. I am going to study English. I want to learn how to become a writer. And um, I never looked back. And I applied to college after that um, on the East Coast 
just north of Boston. I got accepted there and I'd never lived on the East Coast before. So that was very cold in the winter, <laughs> so much snow. Um, and, but that college was great. It was a wonderful experience. I only went there for one year um, because I was very homesick, but I, I learned a lot there. It was very difficult, um, like uh, educationally, just what they expected from you. The level of excellence was very high. And so I, I learned how to think critically about everything. And I learned how to write more clearly about literature. And I also took other courses there. I took like philosophy and world history and some, it was a Christian school. So I took a few Bible classes as well, but I loved my experience there. Um, it was a great, a great education. Hmm. So what did you do after you spent a year there then? So where did you move to after? Where did you obviously came back to sort of Washington State. Did you yeah. get carry on your ed education there in a different university or? I did. Yeah, I, um, I took a semester off because I just needed a break. Um, and I, I worked two jobs. I worked at a clothes store and I worked at a restaurant and I would usually work at the clothes store in the morning and then the restaurant at night. So I was working like 12 hours a day, but I saved up and bought a car and then I applied to a school closer to my home and started going there. Um, and I finished out my college there. I went there for three semesters and that school, it was very small and it wasn't as academically rigorous as the school on the East coast, but the writing professors there, I just kind of clicked with them the way they taught writing and the way that they explained creative writing versus more analytical writing. I just, understood it and it worked really well for me. And so I always tell people that's where I learned how to write. The school on the East coast was where I learned how to think. And it was, it was a great experience between both of those schools. And, um, I had one professor there, her name was Julia and she, she was a great writer herself. Actually, she liked to write plays. They were hilarious. Um, and uh, she really taught me how to be creative and not put parameters on yourself. That creativity is boundless and endless and it, it doesn't stop. It's, it's infinite. And all of the stories that you could ever want to write are just there for you to take and you get to decide what stories to tell, how to tell them the format and you can build characters and um, base them off people, you know, but also make them 
more colorful, I guess. And mm. that was kind of where I learned it's okay to just let your creativity go and see where it takes you and not, not be afraid of it, I guess. Yeah. Brilliant. So three semesters, that's like three years, is it? Uh, that was like no, a, a year. year and a half. Yeah. So what did you do when you graduated then? Did you, did you, did you go on to, to write full time or, or did you have to go and do something in the meantime to prop it up? So during my last semester of college, I met my husband. So I actually barely graduated because I fell so in love with him that I couldn't think straight. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> um, he was so sweet. Um, so we, we fell in love and then I graduated and um, I really had a lot of insecurity to work through. I very much struggle with confidence and I, um, so I worked, I had jobs, but they, they were not writing jobs and I felt very intimidated by being a professional writer. I felt like, even though I had a college degree, I still wasn't confident in my writing. So I kept working at, at that clothes store for a while and then, um, we got married and I ended up working, going back to working in a restaurant, um, which was good money, um, but it's hard work, you know? It was a very busy, busy restaurant. Um, it had excellent food, so it was always very busy. Um, and so I know how to work hard. I know how to work hard, but... Um, it would it was a long time before I really started writing professionally or even publicly. And it kind of started just with Facebook. I would just write little thoughts I was having or um kind of like blog posts. But um about four years ago, I mean there's a lot that happened in between there, but we had babies and I have, mm. I have three children now, but, um, about four years ago, I started writing and blogging and sharing just parts of my story from growing up because it, there were really good parts. There were also a lot of really, really bad parts. And so, mm. I started using my writing to kind of tell that story and process and work through just things that had happened to me. And I really struggled with depression and I really wanted to find healing from that. I believed there was healing and I believed that um, I could get to a place of freedom from that. And so I use writing as kind of a way to work through all of those emotions and 
also encourage other people who were struggling to say, there is hope. There is, there are answers for your struggles and you can use creativity in a way to, to tell your story and process through hard or sad things that have happened to you. You don't have to, but I think I tend to attract people who are more creative and sometimes, um, I think when you're a very creative person, whether it's with music or or painting or sculpture or gardening or um, sewing or, you know, whatever, however you express your creativity, I think there's something to be said for using that in a way that doesn't just create something beautiful, but helps people. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with my writing. And so I started writing this book that told my story. But the more I wrote the book, the more I felt very unsettled about it. Like maybe I wasn't supposed to tell that story right now. And so I had this moment where I just prayed and I said, I need a story. I need a story to write. I have stories in me. And um, I ended up writing a book that I just recently published. And I'm very proud of it. I worked very hard on it. <laughs> um, but I it's a it's a mystery. But the point of the book is to raise awareness for human trafficking and um, sexual abuse. And and um, I decided to tell a story and use that as a way to help other people. That's interesting. I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> blindsided me that one. <laughs> wow. Yeah. List. Okay. Human trafficking. Yeah. How did you come up with that idea in the first place? And how did you go about the research for it? Yeah, it it definitely took some time. I haven't and is it is it factual? Is it a novel? It's a novel, uh, but it's based off several true stories, and um, I interviewed several detectives for the book. Detectives that have experience with this type of thing, and um, I haven't personally experienced this but i have met people that have and you wouldn't think that you always i always thought oh it's this just happens in a big city but it doesn't and that um i ran into a woman a few years ago who kind of shared her story with me about 
her experiences with this as a child. And I was so heartbroken over it. And I thought, wow, this could be happening anywhere. And you wouldn't even know. And um, it just kind of can hide in plain sight right in front of you. And so when I wrote this book, that's how I, I wrote it is it's not just happening in a big city. It, it could be happening right down the street and you wouldn't even know. And um, it was very interesting talking to these two detectives um, and just hearing their stories of different cases that they've worked and um, it it's very sobering reality, but it's very, I think it's very important to talk about hard things and man, what, what better way to use your creativity and your, your gifting than to maybe tell a story that somebody else just doesn't have the capability of telling. And um, at, I share a lot of stories at the end of the book. There's an essay that I wrote just on human trafficking and the different numbers and statistics and research. But um, I also just shared some stories that had happened in recent years in the Seattle area, since that's where I live, that's where I kind of base the story around um, that area of the country. And there are some crazy stories out there. Let me tell you, <laughs> I, I found just the craziest things involving doctors and police officers and, and, and then just regular people who are, you know, construction workers. And, and it's, um, I've, I've really learned a lot and I feel very honored to have any sort of voice in this area. Mm. That's amazing. I, you wouldn't have thought that sort of far north in America, you, you would have people trafficking problems. I mean, you, yep. can, you can understand it on borders, I suppose. Yes. I mean, bringing in people from Canada, <laughs> Canadians, <laughs> getting them across the border. Oh, and... <laughs> gosh. Most, most of our issues is Mexico. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's, that's but an yes, awful I am long very place close out. To I'm very close mm. to Canada. I'm about an hour yeah. away. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you, don't, you know the, the problems with the Mexican border right across where, where the, um, somebody built a wall or was going to build a wall or whatever yeah <laughs> and the problems that they have down there but but you don't associate that sort of thing with that far where you are that far north no. in america no you don't uh, i mean you, you can understand uh, a sort of slavery aspect of people trafficking where they mm -hmm. where they smuggle people into the country and then they're, they're working in people's homes for for peanuts and and locked up and all the rest of it but um yeah you wouldn't have thought sort of seattle area would would have been one of the areas that it happens in amazing yeah. 
And I suppose that could happen anywhere across America. It can happen anywhere across the world. Yes. And we look at our porous border. Uh, we've got we've got the, the English Channel, and, and that's about as yes. porous as it can get. Yes. I mean, it's ridiculous amounts of people coming across there in dinghies at the moment. It's crazy. Really? I did not oh. know that. There's, uh, there's, I don't know what the latest figure is, but there was 2,000 just over last weekend came across in dinghies. Oh, and, my and we word. Have a, we have a border force that goes out and picks them up and brings them in. It's a crazy situation. We, we wow. It's costing us over £5 million pounds a day to house these people in hotels. You couldn't wow. make it up. And there's, there's people track because uh, over there in France and in Europe that yep. facilitate them. Yes. Yeah. It, it just beggars belief. But yep. there you go. That's 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 our problem. <laughs> Goodness heavens! I didn't know that was going on. I never would have known. Been going on for a few years now. Wow. And, and I think it's it's because we're such a liberal country. We we. We try and we we listen to people's. Um, I mean, asylum seekers—they're all claiming asylum, basically. But I mean, coming from from somewhere like Albania, which is at the moment the predominant amount are coming in. The, okay. the ones that's coming in from places like Afghanistan and Syria and Ukraine uh, are all coming in with through the bright channels with the paperwork. The people that's coming across the. The, the channel in dinghies ditch all their paperwork and yeah. uh, you, you don't know who they are, where they come from. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a massive, massive problem. Um, yeah. And the problem is we've got nowhere to house them. We we had a housing crisis before all of this started and, and wow. it's just exacerbated. It's just made it worse. But yeah. there you go. It's, um, it's for the new prime ministers to sort out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, hopefully he sorts that out because that's a problem worth sorting. Yeah, he's a she. Oh, she. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But there you go. Yeah. So that's kind of bringing us sort of up to date then. So amazing the story. And I mean, I have a live stream where I talk about taboos. And trying to normalise the, the conversation around those taboos, like death, suicide, mental health, mental health issues, yeah. um, and, and we're just having that conversation and, and trying to to normalise it so people are more comfortable about talking about it and bringing it out into the open. So yeah. that's, I mean, what you're doing with, with your book is is, is pretty awesome. Thank so, you. have you got anything else in the pipeline? Well, I, yes, I always have projects that I'm working on, but, um, I decided to turn this book into a trilogy. So I'm, I, I guess the characters I created, I kind of fell in love with them and other people did too. And so I've already had so many people ask me, you know, can you tell me more about this character or that character and and I thought yes I can I would love to so um <laughs> I already started writing my second book um 
and I'm just going to, I'm not really putting a ton of pressure on myself because man, I was exhausted after I wrote that book. I, Mm. uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. The editing almost killed me. Um, (laughs) but, um, do you not have somebody to do the, the, the proofreading and editing for you or you, you, you concentrate on doing it all yourself? Do you have a publisher? I don't have a publisher. I self-published it. Um, I did hire an editor, but I also did a lot of the work myself. And then I used some different um, programs to help me with catching grammatical errors, making sure everything was consistent throughout the book that I, um, you know, just used all the same types of fonts and um, formatting, even just that is, was a lot of work. And so, yeah, I ended up buying a, a um, software to help me out with that. So that was good. Mm. I think it was money well spent. And then I can, I can, I own it now, so I can use it for anything in the future that I, that I write, which is, which is good. So if you don't mind me asking, what software is it? It's called Atticus, um, after, I think after, named after Atticus Finch in the book To Kill a Mockingbird, but, um, it, yeah, it's just called Atticus and it's a writing software and I think it was a hundred and fifty dollars. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what that would be in pounds, but, um, about 20 pounds, I guess. Okay. So not, not too crazy. And, and then you just, you own it. So there's no monthly fee or anything like that. Uh, uh, Unlike, um, the Adobe suite that I've got. (laughs) Yes. I I, I, I use Adobe InDesign. I'm, I'm trying to write a book, but podcasting is all taken over. Um, I'm not a writer. I have dyslexia and it's a nightmare. <laughs> um, but there's a book there. Well, there's good for you there. for working on that. Yeah. I I don't necessarily recommend this software. Um, <laughs> it's helpful, but I don't necessarily recommend it. I've heard a lot of other writers talk about a different software called Scrivener and um basically every writer that I have listened to on a podcast or that is self-published uses Scrivener. And so I actually might buy that one as well. Um, Mm. I think it's around the same price, but I think it's a little bit older of a software. So I think there's more benefits um, and features in there and I think it's a little more extensive about like what it can edit. I think you can like um, highlight words and, you know, make sure you don't use the same word too many times. And that's always, that's always an issue with, I think you're writing a book because you write it, it, you don't just sit down and write a book all at once. It's a year or two or five. So you forget, oh, I've already used that word. We all have it's our difficult to keep going right. back and reading over what you've done before you start writing again. And yes, yes, uh, yeah, I know, I know the feeling. <laughs> yep, man, we'll get there one day, I'm sure. It was a lot. I 
I cried the day I finished writing my first draft. I just thought, I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I did it. I wanted to do this since I was little and I did it. And um, the book has gotten great reviews. I didn't want it to be too long because I knew a lot of the people that would read the book are probably going to be moms like me. And they have kids and chores mm. and dishes and laundry to do. And, um, but you still want to read a good story. And so I wanted to make it kind of fast paced, exciting, emotional, um, a little bit like you're sitting on the edge of your seat, but not too long. And mm. so, um, that was always my goal from the beginning. I didn't want it to be one of those books that just goes on and on. <laughs> and you're like, um, can this story just end? So I know <laughs> uh, I didn't, that's, that's bad. You do not want mm. that. So yeah, I didn't, it's not, it's not too long. It's about um, maybe 250 pages total. So it's not too long, but it's mm. a, a good book. And I've had a lot of people tell me I could not put this book down. I, I stayed up until four in the morning reading it and I was miserable the next day, but I, I had to know how it ended. So mm. that's like every writer's dream to hear that, you know, Absolutely. So it was, it, it's been a very, I, I've learned lessons writing this book about writing that I could never have learned any other way. Sometimes mm. you just have to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So where can people find the book? It's on Amazon and the, I can send you the link to add, but um, it's called until the darkness turns to light. And it's about overcoming the darkness of human trafficking and shining the light on it and helping, helping victims heal and find hope. Mm. Brilliant. Well, we'll put that in the into the into the show notes, and uh, hopefully, you'll get a few more sales out of it. That would be great. And, yes. And the series is coming. <laughs> yes. Yep. I'm excited. Yep. Number two is in the pipeline. Number two is in the pipeline. There is no estimated date on the release because it's. I'm only like one or two chapters in so it's mm. the very beginning but yes yeah. still a work in progress yes a work in progress we'll see what the characters do i don't i don't believe in knowing the end of your story really mm. if you do that's great but that doesn't well, you, have, you have something to aim for then don't you yeah you have a, the, i think yeah, the you characters a, you, tell you it's like harry potter where he ended up she yes. knew that from the beginning. Yeah. And that's that's where the journey took it. So Yes. It yeah. might come, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> you can kind of know the end, but it's like you don't know how you get there, you know? Mm. So that's it. Yeah. The journey is that's the story. Fantastic. Well, Lucia, this has been a fascinating chat. Oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for sharing it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. It was really fun. I've never been interviewed by somebody in England before. Oh, 
There you go, it's your first for everything. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.